Welcome to Hard Talks with Chris and Friends, where topics that are hard or will make you hard are talked about, where things get real and unfiltered. Here is your host, Christopher Velasquez. Hello, you guys. Welcome back. No matter who we are, we need blood. No matter if you're rich, poor, you're famous, not famous, we all need blood. And sometimes it feels like there's gatekeepers that are in charge of the blood and that don't let us donate blood because of several reasons. But in the last couple of years, um, having conversations with, with, with the person that I'm going to have on, I realized that those people that we think as gatekeepers are only following the rules and um, that there's someone else behind that setting the rules and I think a lot of us don't know that so we we put the blame on the wrong person without understanding that there are certain guidelines and certain procedures that these gatekeepers quote-unquote need to follow um and that that the blame is always or has been put on the wrong party so I know this person for a while and he's a super smart works in this blood industry I think it's called um well I'll, I'll figure it out with him But his name is Rodney. I am so excited to have you on. Hello, how are you, Rodney? Hey, Chris, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm good, thank you. Start with, how's your quarantine going? Quarantine is just a mess, isn't it? I think even though we all want to be be safe and stay safe and, and, you know, do right by our fellow citizen, our neighbor, it's tough, right? I mean, staying inside and doing what we need to do to indeed be safe, um, it's tough because we're sort of cutting ourselves off from um, what we as human beings need, that social contact. So uh, I won't lie, it's not easy. Uh, but I am fortunate enough to be able to work from home. Uh, and I know that's not everyone's uh, blessing right now. So many are, are having a difficult time. So all in all, I am doing well. Thank you for asking. No, thank you. You work for the blood industry. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds so that's McIving, the blood industry, <laughs> like the blood, the blood diamond industry. That's, that's what you work for. Would that be the correct word? I keep trying to, I don't know if it's my ideas of what um, donating blood is, but I, I, it's, I keep in my head, it keeps, anytime I talk about it, it seems like a mob organization or like a, like a mysterious power lord, you know? So, but is it, is it an industry or what would, what would it be under? That's so funny. So it is, so yes, blood is indeed an industry. It's a business. Um, now I work for the American Red Cross. My role is not specifically in blood or as we call it, biomedical services. Um, as you know, the American Red Cross um, is a responsive agency, right? We respond to emergencies and disasters. And so under our umbrella of services, blood or biomedical services is one uh, of those lines of service. Um, but as you know, we also are uh, disaster responders. So we have a disaster cycle services team. In fact, that's um, probably our largest aside from blood. We respond to more than 70,000 emergencies or disasters each year. Um, and then we also do training services too. So if you think of first aid, CPR, um, even babysitting courses, lifeguarding, swim lessons, that's an, a division in and of itself. 
um, that's training services. Um, so those are our, our three largest uh, industries, but indeed biomedical services or blood uh, is yes, it's a, it's a profit center. It is uh, one uh, of, of our five lines of service. That's funny that you, that you brought up some of the services because I know the Red Cross because of two services actually. The first service is um, obviously the donation, blood, blood donation. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But the other service is lifeguard certification. Because when I was a lifeguard, which I was a lifeguard in high, in high school, I did have to go through you guys to get my certification. But I was already soured <laughs> to the Red Cross. So I was very like, mm, I don't want to do this. But since I am a, a, a lifeguard, and you guys were one of the biggest places that gave that certification, um, I resently, resentingly went with you guys. <laughs> so to the topic, to today's topic, we're going to talk about um, donating blood and what those policies are and what, what, what they were before. And I think the, the misunderstandings, misconceptions of this blood industry. So before we dive more into that, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure, I will. Absolutely. Um, a little bit about me. I've been with the Red Cross organization for uh, almost five years. I'm approaching the five-year anniversary. Um, before that, I was uh, self-employed uh, in Los Angeles, doing some uh, real estate, vacation rentals, um, and some consulting in the diversity and inclusion space. And so it's the really diversity and inclusion that I represent at the Red Cross. Um, and of course, diversity and inclusion applies to all of our lines of service. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that, especially as it relates to blood. Um, but then before my years of self-employment, uh, I was doing diversity and inclusion work for Hilton Hotels Corporation, which is known as Hilton Worldwide today. <clears throat> and that's really where I began to dive into the diversity and inclusion space. And so really when we talk about diversity and inclusion or DNI, we're talking about all the things, all the factors that make individuals unique. Um, and certainly that includes people of color, it certainly includes our queer community, it includes the aging community, people with disabilities, and several other factors, right? And so thinking about that from a business perspective, uh, we really begin to analyze, you know, why those things are important. Why is it important that we consider diverse communities in all that we do? And so you're right, Chris, you and I have had a number of conversations on not just blood, but then, you know, diversity and inclusion and, and what organizations corporations, nonprofits are doing uh, in this space uh, as it relates to DNI. Um, and, and we're hearing more and more and more about it. And, and it's, it's, it's great. But what's more important than talking about it is the actions, right, that these organizations are taking. So, um, so yeah, I look forward to, to talking about those actions as it relates to blood um, with Red Cross and, and any other thing that uh, you'd like to discuss. And can I can I say, Chris, thank you so much for creating the space because, listen, just like you, uh, as a gay man, I too had questions, concerns, um, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity that the Red Cross has provided to me um, to understand um, how this works. And you're right, it, it's, it's information that uh, it does take some desire to get to know and to understand because it's very easy to have, you have those misconceptions uh, and misunderstandings just based on on the general knowledge that's out there. So thanks for creating this opportunity to provide some understanding. You and me had a had this conversation maybe I want to say like two or three months ago. We've had this conversation twice actually, but 
and I, and like I told you, I think, and I think because so this conversation started because I heard a podcast where they talked about the Red Cross, and I, they kind of voiced how gay people overall have a sour feeling towards the Red Cross and towards not only the Red Cross. I'm not gonna target the Red Cross, but why I think you and me have talked about this too. Um, the Red Cross is such a recognizable brand or organization um, that it feels like the Red Cross is the one in charge of this. For the longest, I thought the Red Cross was in charge of all of this. Um, I remember being in ninth grade. I think it's ninth grade. Yeah, I, I think being in ninth grade and wanting to to pitch in and kind of wanting to help um, the world. You know, I think when you go into ninth grade is you kind of, get this idea that that you want to change the world you know like you you still you're, you're you're trying to figure out what what way you're gonna head to be a grown-up and what's gonna be your career you're taking and for us that want to change the world we start kind of thinking how we're gonna do that right so I was obviously not the smartest cookie of the bunch um the best looking cookie of all the cookies but not the smartest cookie of the bunch so i knew that my smartness was not going to get me there and i and i was having a hard time knowing how was i going to do that and i remember my teacher specifically being like hey you guys like you know this week and the end of the week we are going to have a um blood you know blood donation a, bl a blood drive and um the red cross is doing it and um you guys should donate and gave us you know all the reasons why it's good to donate blood right and i remember being like so excited and being like oh here you go like i don't have to donate money i don't have to do you know i don't have to work like i could just show up give my blood which i have a lot of and change someone's life or, or help in someone's life right and then i remember showing up that day and being so excited um getting brit in the morning and being like let's go like we're gonna do this right before class like that's gonna make us feel good all day and cheery and i remember sitting and you know you fill out the paperwork and then like the there's just the regular like what's your name what's your address did you you know at that point i had to give up uh, my mom had to sign something so i had to give them that and it was this whole thing right and then there's like the pre-interview like right before they take your blood the girl, like it's all going well until we got to the, you know, have you had sex with another male? So when she said that, I remember being like, yes, like, yes, I have. And her being like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't donate blood. And I remember like feeling like so, like it's mad. Like I, I didn't understand why. And mm -hmm. she was just like, oh, well, you know, I think she tried to, explained it to me and I was just like it makes no sense like that makes no sense like that's ridiculous that is right. stupid and um mm -hmm. you're homophobic like that just remembering saying you're homophobic like you're just it's because I'm gay and not understanding yeah. that what and I mean thanks to you now mm -hmm. understanding why right so I mean I, I already gave you kind of how <laughs> how my blood my bad <laughs> blood started <laughs> sorry for the pun but how my bad blood started with um with the red cross you know um that was basically after all of that happened i was like never again like just forget it and i'm not gonna lie like later on i realized that all you have to do is just say no <laughs> you kind of don't you could just donate blood um 
but that wasn't obviously that wasn't the right that's not the right way and i'm not gonna we shouldn't be doing that but for the longest it was just like i felt like that was the only way if i did want to donate that was the only way to do it you know and, and that goes back i think to that whole idea of oh um that feeling of oh just because i'm gay they're not letting me donate and not knowing that there is more to that it's not just because i'm gay it's because of these other reasons you know those stories are so important and to your point those kinds of stories have lasting effects on not just gay men but all people who are deferred from giving blood and so i do want to talk a little bit about that and, and come back to your experience so why don't you give us a little bit um and i'm talking about back then or the old rules i guess because spoiler there's new rules <laughs> to this to this show there's new rules and we'll talk about them a little bit further but why don't you give us um an idea or or what or yeah an idea of what were the rules before sure sure of course so uh prior to 2015 around 2015 prior to 2015 there was a lifetime deferral a lifetime deferral uh, that prevented men who have sex with men from donating blood, period. Now, the biggest misconception, the biggest misconception is that that deferral, that lifetime deferral, or any of the regulatory um, abidances that we have to adhere to as an organization, that's not set by the American Red Cross. Red Cross does not establish those guidelines. We do not do that. That is set uh, by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Okay, good, because I thought, <laughs> so it's, it is the FDA. It is the FDA, yeah. Well, several people think it's the Red Cross, some people think it's the CDC. I used to think it was the CDC. I kept going like, even with, after you told me, I was like, oh yeah, the CDC is the one that, that is in charge of this. Well, and they certainly, and the CDC is, is, is certainly a part of that dialogue but the guidance, the guidance is set by the, the FDA. Um, and so every blood center, not just the American Red Cross, but every blood collection agency has to abide by the guidance set forth by the FDA. Now, because the Red Cross is the largest, it's the leading blood collector and blood provider in the United States, uh, we, we, we are, provide 40% of the nation's blood supply um, we are not the only blood center, blood collection agency. There are dozens of others. And so no matter which agency you go to to um, give blood or no matter which, which uh, agency a hospital uses uh, to administer their blood supply, every blood collection agency um, throughout the entire blood industry has to abide by FDA guidelines. And so yes, to your point, those have changed over the years, but when you, were, when you went to go donate, um, which would have been prior to 2015. At that time, it didn't matter when you ever had sex with another man. It was a lifetime deferral at that time. Now, I will say this. Even though those guidelines are set by the FDA, how you were treated when you went to a blood center, I absolutely think that that agency should take full responsibility for that. No matter who you are, who you sleep with, what you've done in your life, for what reason you are deferred, I believe, and our agency believes, every single person should be treated with the utmost care, concern, and respect. Because you've given your time to walk through that door and to give what we call the gift of life. And so whether you were able to actually give or not, when your experience should have still been 
one that provided you with the utmost care, concern, respect that you deserve um, as a human being. So um, I always remind, you know, every person who's ever given blood or has ever even volunteered, whether it's for our organization or another, that experience should always be, should always leave you feeling respected for, um, you know, the time that you gave to, to come in, you know, to, to participate and to really, again, provide that, that gift of life. So um, just know that that should always be an expectation, no matter what the the outcome is and, and I, like I said I, I I remember her being nice about it because I remember it was a girl um and I remember her being like very sweet about it but it it, it just I think I mean and you're talking about a, a ninth yeah. grader yeah that probably was like this is like the 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 one thing he had to look for for that whole like month yeah. <laughs> so you know you, no I don't think no matter how sweet she was or you know how nice she would have been about it it crushed me um, and not having that education about it. So the way I understand is by correlating it to different things. So the FTA is the one that the guidelines and the rest of you kind of follow. Correct. Which would be like the FTA does, you know, tells restaurants how they should clean and how they should do stuff. So you guys are just, and, and the Red Cross is just worldly known. So when you, you know, as kids, it's like McDonald's, you know. When you think about fast food, you think McDonald's. You think a burger, you think McDonald's. Even though, yes, there's millions of burger places and a lot of different brands that do the same thing, but just the, the, the correlation between fast food and burgers is McDonald's. Yes, you might have other brands that you like or, or it might not be maybe the first one, but as Americans, mm-hmm. McDonald's is mm-hmm. the, the big umbrella of what you think. So that's basically the Red Cross. Yes, there's other organizations, but the brand recognition is with the Red Cross because it's the biggest, I want to say. It's the biggest, and it's the one that everybody's familiar with. And and basically, it's a house-known name that no matter matter what, (laughs) someone will know at least... You, we, we might not know all mm-hmm. the things you guys do, but we at least know that the, on the top, you guys um, are a place you could go donate blood. Absolutely, yeah. Is it, and I think this is another misunderstanding, is it just gay men who can't donate blood or who weren't able to donate blood? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. And I, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people have that misperception that it's just that deferral only applies to gay men. And that's not true. There's a, there's a, a list um, of uh, reasons why a person who comes in to donate blood could be deferred. So uh, just give you some random examples. If you've had uh, 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 recent tattoos, you can not get blood. If you've recently traveled um, outside of the country, um, that's reason for being deferred. If you, um, if you come in and your iron is too low, um, you would be deferred, not able to give blood. So um, and I think there are some countries that uh, have where there are lifetime deferrals. So even though um, the uh, men who have sex with men, blood deferral used to be a lifetime deferral that has now uh, improved in recent years. Uh, but I do think there are still some, and again, I, I don't reside in our uh, blood division, um, and I can certainly provide you the, the we, on our website, redcrossblood.org, um, there's a list of deferral reasons there. And I should probably pull those up for you. 
and can certainly share those with you. But, um, but yes, you're absolutely right. It is a misconception that on, it's only gay men who are deferred and not several other categories. I ask you this question because I mean, I do know, you know, the iron and I do know the, the, the tattoos. And in my head, I could, comp I could come up with reasons why. Does that make sense? Like, I understand if, if you got a tattoo, there might be ink in your blood or there might be, you know, the ink does go into your body. So that, you know, right. that could be a, a pollution of your blood. I understand that. And if it's not healthy and your blood is already low or, or your iron is low, you obviously, if it's already low, you don't want to give it out when you're already having issues with your own blood, right? So that, to me, that th those things kind of make sense. And I think to a lot of people, those things make a sense. It's the, the is, as a human that I'm good and I'm standing and I'm healthy and I'm, I'm a bigger guy. I obviously, uh, I eat <laughs> like all these things that are, what's called all these things that make you feel as a healthy human being for them to just be like, Hey, it's, right. it's just because you're gay. Right. I think it, it feels like, Oh, gay people are getting targeted. But when you put it as no, there is places in the world that people from there can't donate. There are other, you know, there's other people. You're not just being targeted. And I think that's kind of how it feels. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and that makes sense. Of course it feels that way. And, and that's why I feel like that care and concern piece um, goes a long way because number one, yes, it's our responsibility to educate, bring education around, you know, what the policy is, even though we don't set it. Um, and then again, top of my list is that everyone should feel um, care and concern through the, through the process. I'll also say too that, um, you know, as you um, really begin to understand like how blood works, and this was a learning curve for me, um, you begin to understand what it takes, you know, what's required in that process of giving blood, right? So why is it that, you know, it, you know I, I often get the question, why is it that, uh, you know, science certainly exists, testing, a fair amount of testing exists, you guys test blood, you know, if there's a problem with someone's blood, um, you should be able to catch that, right? You should be able to test for it, catch it, and so therefore, yeah, you should let, you know, all gay men donate blood, and if there's an issue, you can test for that. Um, and so my response to that is, that is absolutely right. We do test um, all blood supply that, that comes in. Right. But if you remember back, and I think I asked you this, and I think you might be too young to remember, but if you remember back to the 80s, when uh, this is where this really all began, obviously, the onset of HIV and AIDS, but there was a, a very famous blood transfusion that occurred uh, to a young boy by the name of Ryan White back in the early 80s. And through that blood transfusion, um, Ryan White contracted HIV um, uh, and then later died. Um, and because of that moment in history, it created this dynamic uh, in, you know, in our society and truth, truthfully in, in the world that um, began in earnest this severe and swift response to higher standards in regulating the blood supply. So I think anyone can understand that, you know, that at that time. Right. And so then the conversation goes, OK, but that was back in the 80s. What about it? What about now? And so um, one of our responsibilities at the Red Cross, and I'm sure the FDA has this in mind, you know, as an entity, we have a responsibility to protect the nation's blood supply. Right. And so do are some of these policies overreaching? 
Um, sure, even, even we at the Red Cross can agree to that, right? Um, is there an opportunity for science to catch up and allow us to modify some of these uh, deferrals? Absolutely, there's room to improve. And the Red Cross is an advocate of that. We are at the charge in wanting the FDA to um, revamp and continue to improve uh, the deferrals. But does it mean that we have the technology to guarantee that we will catch every single issue with every pint of blood? The answer to that is no. The answer to that is, is, is no. Are, are we want to indeed ensure that blood supply is protected. And the best way to do that is to support the deferrals as they exist today. And you know, working toward improving the deferral list, but in order to maintain the safety of the blood supply, it takes time for science and technology to be where it is. Red Cross is a, uh, we depend on the donor dollar, right? We depend on the donor dollar. And those donor dollars support the systems and testing that we um, you know, have in place today. But when deferrals change and regulations change, what that means is Red Cross then has to change our systems, change our intake process, change our testing protocol. It may mean that we have to bring on additional staff. And see, that requires additional donor dollars. But the, you know, obviously then you look at, okay, so, you know, because we are not federally funded either. Talk about another misconception. People think that the American Red Cross is federally funded. We are not. We, were, we, we solely depend on donor dollars. And so that I think is where some of the concerns and misconceptions come in because we can't do it all in one day. If the FDA says, okay, now everybody can just get blood and we're going to rely on the Red Cross and other testing agencies to just catch any you know, quote unquote, bad blood. Well, that's a huge burden to the organization when science and technology and manpower come into play. So kind of talking about changing, um, when did the change happen from, we, it's a lifetime, gay people, lifetime can't donate to, what was the next, that next step and, and when did it happen? Great question. So the lifetime deferral that began in the, in the 80s wasn't changed until about 2015 uh, to a one-year deferral. So what that means is when 2015 and the FDA changed policy, it means, okay, if you're a gay man, um, if you have been abstinent, not having sex for at least one year with another male, um, uh, you could indeed give blood. If you've been abstinent for a year, you could give blood. That was in 2015. And then we saw most recently. Uh, wait, 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 wait! Before you go into that, yeah. Um, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So now the policy was: um, if you haven't had sex for a year, you could, you know, you could donate blood. Now, yeah. To me, that feels like you're expecting for me for a year. I mean, God knows I can't spend twenty minutes without having sex, but <laughs> a whole year, like, what is going on? <laughs> that kind of felt and. Um, like a, what's the word? Like a, yes, we're supportive and we get you guys. And, but it didn't feel honest. This is where the conversation is moving on and we'll see it again when the rules change. Yes, you guys are giving us, I don't know, what's the word? Um, charity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, yeah, just throwing, throw, throwing a bone, throwing a little, yeah. a little snack out there without really 
providing the whole meal. It's kind of having like that mom that tells you like, oh, I accept you being gay and you're my son and everything, but let's just not have sex. Right. <laughs> just don't have sex. Like, it's okay. Be as gay as you want. And, you know, but don't marry the man that you fall in love with and don't have sex. Of course. Yeah. And, and, and we at the Red Cross don't disagree with that. We, we absolutely agree. Um, because again, keep in mind, this is not a Red Cross policy. This is the FDA. And so while we are obligated to follow um, FDA policy. Um, it doesn't mean that we um, don't have those same exact concerns that you just expressed and that we continued after 2015 to have and share those same concerns with the FDA. So the American Red Cross led the charge in encouraging the FDA to change uh, policy because we felt the exact same way. There was more that could be done. Was it an improvement over the lifetime deferral? Sure. Did we see more donations? Yes. From, from, from gay men? Absolutely. Those who, who uh, indeed uh, had abstained and wanted to give the gift of life, um, did we see more of those uh, donors come in? We absolutely did. So we know that there was impact there. At the same time, there's still room for improvement. You couldn't have said it better. And, and do, you know, do you know why, um, why was it a year? So what changed from, from, hey, we can't at all <laughs> to now we can't? Is it, it, was it that like, you know, oh, now, now there's more equipment or we're, we're better equipped to check blood and giving us that little bit of we, that little bit of space between like from a year to, you know, from now that gives us a little bit of a better I don't know, the, the risks are lower. Like, so do, do you know why, why the change went from never to a year? Yeah, you know what? I can't speak uh, on behalf of the FDA, but what I can share is my, my, my best sort of educated guess is a couple of things. Number one, as I said earlier, science was beginning to catch up, right? So the science was there um, and the support to change the deferral was there. Um, that's number one. And I think also at the FDA um, also looks to other guiding principles around the world. So the FDA is regulated here in the United States, but they also look to models um, in, in other countries that have worked. So we, you know, the FDA wasn't the first, um, you know, sort of guiding or governance that had a one year deferral. There, there were others. There were other countries that had that and it was working successfully and, and, and they were being sort of used as the model. And so the FDA um, saw that, recognized that, and then began to strongly consider implementing it, um, which is what they did in 2015. So now, uh, now moving, moving along on the timeline and I guess moving along to like present. And I think, when was this that the new, that the new rule dropped was on? Uh, Oh, this was just earlier this year, what, uh, March, April? Yeah, I think, yeah, I want to say March or April, because I remember we had this conversation right after that happened. Yeah. Oh, let us know what's the new policy. Yeah, sure. So uh, earlier this year, like we said, March, April, the FDA uh, revised uh, their deferral uh, of men who have sex with men from giving blood. Once again, this deferral uh, was changed from the one-year deferral to a three-month deferral, uh, which again, given, and this is me personally speaking, given all that's happened with quarantine, you and I joke all the time, 
uh, wow, that three months kind of seems kind of easy right about now with all the quarantining that's 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 happening. So uh, yeah, step in the right direction, but again, uh, room for improvement. But we've certainly welcomed uh, this this uh, change from the one year deferral to three months. So yeah, so now it's it's a three months, and um, I'm gonna go into two different things. So the first thing is, so now it's three months. Obviously, we all felt like, wow, well, thank God. And, and I remember even having the conversation with you and kind of giving you the pushback of being like, oh, it took you guys long enough. You know, it, like, great, thank you so much. And I, and I love how kind and, and willing you guys are to just give us three months. At the same time, reading articles of people who got denied and got sent away yeah, uh -huh. and um, not understanding. So right. this was, and this was an important conversation we had. And I think you touched about it. You touched on uh, um, on it a little bit um, ago. Is the you know what it takes to change your rule? Yeah, it's not yeah. just a, oh now the now they now now the FDA said um, these are the new rules and these are the new guidelines. Starting you know it's on a let's say it's on a Monday. Starting Tuesday morning, now everybody could just come and go. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so great question, and I think such an important point, right, of, of information and what's uh, the expectation and misconception. So this this is this is really important. So, mind you, I didn't hear about the FDA change until friends of mine had come to me and said, "Hey, I just saw this in the news. You know, congratulations." I had no idea, and so that speaks to the fact that when the FDA makes a move, they're not consulting with the Red Cross saying, hey guys, we're gonna make this change, get ready. No, it does not work that way. We hear about it when the rest of the world hears about it. And so when we hear about it, even though we've been advocating for these changes, um, there's no advance notice that these changes are gonna happen. So when the FDA issues new guidance, then it, it's on the Red Cross to come out of, oh shit mode, you know, oh shit, this is happening to then now we have to catch up. And that catch up means, yes, um, changing our intake uh, policy, because like, like your experience when you went into donate blood, she's asking those questions. For every uh, phlebotomist, every technician has that sheet of questions that they ask. Okay, when FDA changes that policy, now those sheets of questions that they have to ask is gonna change as well, right? Well, we haven't created those because we didn't know that the policy was gonna change. And even if, even if we did have an indication on that there was a change coming, we didn't know what that change was going to be until the FDA, FDA announced it. And so the intake policy has to change, um, you know, uh, certain computer system, um, you know, has to change on, on the back end. Um, it might mean that we have to increase staff if there's going to be a number of, of increased donors coming through the door. Uh, and so all of the, it also means um, technicians now have to be uh, trained on what this new policy is. So they, they're indeed asking the right questions. They understand what's happening. So all of that has to take time to work itself through the system. You know, we have to make those changes and then implement those changes. And so when FDA made this change in, you know, March, April, you know, if you were to go through the door, as you saw in the media, people were like, great, FDA change. I'm going to donate blood tomorrow as a gay man. Um, you, if you walk through the door, because our systems had not changed, 
you perhaps were not even able to still donate. In fact, our implementation wasn't scheduled until, until um, June, July. Now, keep in mind, that's further complicated by the fact that we're still responding to COVID-19 and we've had some policy changes there. And we're still responding in the midst of, you know, uh, a great deal of social unrest um, that, that's happening right now uh, across the nation. And even though those things are getting better, that, those things were such huge impacts to our, or to our industry that there's so much happening. All of these things just take time to implement. So if you were to go to uh, a donation center today, um, your, your likelihood of having a smoother process than you would have if you went back in March or April, um, that's vastly improved. But I will say these things continue to take time to implement. So patience is very, very important. Um, I, I, I don't think we've covered this, but you are, Yes. And you are a man of color. Yeah. So you, 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 you do, I do want people to understand yes. that you do see these things as, as those two things that you're not just, because I, and, and I remember even when I did give you that pushback, um, I said, well, you don't understand. So it was hard to kind of put those things together. But then I remember you telling me specifically at one point being like, you know, I understand exactly where you're coming from in the same time i know what the rules are <laughs> and i know how the insides work and i think i told you i was like well you are a inside player so so you do have a better idea and i think that that's why this podcast overall i wanted to do is because i'm having a conversation about a topic with someone that knows the topic and and, and does it for their living right so you're not just talking for your organization, not understanding this side of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, such a, that's such a great point. And that's why I thank you for the space because you're absolutely right. You know, at the end of the day, when I leave my work at Red Cross, I'm still a black man and I'm still a gay man. And I will always be those things 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That is who I am. That is my identity. And so these concerns, I have the same concerns and not even just as it relates to blood but in all the things that we do right we want diverse communities especially those communities who have been so unfairly unrepresented in our american history for far too long we want to be represented we want to be respected we want to be heard we want to be appreciated i'm right there with you i'm right there with you and it's because of that that i do the work that i do and I am grateful for the opportunity that Red Cross has provided um, me in terms of leading a lot of the efforts that are very specific in how we care for um, diverse communities, communities of color, our queer communities. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm, I'm, I'm especially uh, grateful for what I've learned through this process, because just like you, prior to my stint here at the Red Cross, um, I too had those same frustrations, right? And just not understanding and feeling like, you know, why is the organization so far behind? But now being an inside player and understanding, you know, what's happening, I've, I gotta tell you this, Red Crossers are truly, truly committed to doing the right thing. We are humanitarians at heart um, and we want to make and implement um, so many of the, of the desperate changes that are needed. We want that, right? And I'm able to see, being on the inside, um, the action 
and the steps that are being taken. What is not being seen by the outside are those steps, right? And so I'm more conscious of, of not just taking the steps, but also sharing in, in forums like this and, in, in a, you know, whether it's amongst my friends or if I'm, you know, at conferences, Red Cross is actively working to uh, make these changes and to put, you know, diverse communities uh, in top consideration, whether it's with blood or whether it's with training or whether it's with disaster response, whether it's with, you know, in, uh, who we employ, um, it is top of mind and top of action. And so uh, I say that to say, you know, to, to, to all of your listeners, um, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that um, your listeners hear that, they embrace that, and they support the Red Cross for all that we, you know, not only are doing, but all that we're trying to do um, for all of our communities. Uh, and I, and I, I uh, for me, biggest thing was, I think, realizing that Red Cross is a, like any other organization that has to follow federal rules and that are not, you know, in a, in a bigger, in a bigger perspective, they're not allowed to make their own rules about who's donating blood and who's, who's allowed and who's not allowed. And that if we, if we really want to, you know, have these conversations or we want to talk, talk to people, the people that we should be talking is the, the, you know, the FDA, not you guys. And, and obviously you guys are allies and you guys will help those voices. And I think because you guys are such a big organization, your voice is, 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 is powerful, but the only people that really have a voice that really matters and that really could change stuff is, uh, is us and us, you know, directing our, our voices to the right person helps. And that's the FDA. Thank you, Chris. Yes, thank you so much for saying that. So just like you just like you said, if as we want to improve even the three-month deferral, please send your questions, comments, concerns, you know, your frustrations directly to the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. They uh, are responsible for that guidance. Uh, we are doing the same thing, uh, challenging the FDA, asking for continued improvement on the, on the deferral lists. Um, because listen, as of right now, we, the nation is undergoing a, a blood shortage, right? So uh, we need those donations. We need people to continue to um, uh, come out and donate and, and provide that gift of life. Um, but uh, uh, that wall, as you just mentioned, really comes down in a lot of cases to this deferral. Um, and so it's something that we're continuing to ask the FDA to revisit and change. And I encourage all of your listeners, Chris, to, to challenge the FDA as well. What do you, you know, so with all the changes have happened, you know, since um, I think March or April, um, what, what do you think this means, at least for us as the, gay, the you know, the, the LGBT community? And what do these changes mean to, to us? Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. So uh, a couple of things, actually, or several things, but I'll mention a couple. Change is always great, right? And it's great for a number of reasons. It's, I think what we're seeing is uh, science is catching up. Um, public sentiment is catching up. Um, people aren't as, as um, let's say, let, dare we say, afraid 
of 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 you know the, the queer community and and HIV and and these things that have um, had lasting impacts uh, on and toward our communities in, in years past, you know those those impressions are changing, right? And so I I think you know I like to believe that um, the cries for equality and and justice and fair treatment and and respect. Uh, of our diverse communities, I do believe that's being heard. Um, and I think the changes that we're seeing today are, are uh, indicative of that. Uh, and so I can appreciate and, and certainly respect and embrace that as well. Um, I also want to underscore the importance, and you said this at the top of our conversation, the importance of blood. Um, and, and we as, uh, as human beings, as, as members of the, the LGBTQ community, um, people of color, blood is vitally important to our communities, especially communities of color where you're looking at things like sickle cell disease. And so I think these um, relaxed restrictions uh, with the deferrals are gonna really invite more people to give so that we in turn can provide uh, you know, life-saving resources right back to the communities that, that need it, which again are people of color if you're talking about you know, sickle cell disease. I mean, that's a treatment that's needed regularly, but it's a treatment that depends on, on, on people being able to come and give blood so that we can make blood product to then provide those treatments. So those are the things I wanted to mention. And I, I just think it just means, you know, so much, not just for the queer community or, or people of color, but for humanity as a whole, right? It provides us more opportunities to be of service in the ways that they're really needed the most. Um, is there any other misconceptions that you feel like i know we've we've covered a lot and, and we've talked about a lot of them but is there any other misconceptions that you feel like are out there about the red cross or about you know um overall donating blood that um that you want to clear up besides that there's vampires and that you guys are all vampires that work at the red cross <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think first one of the, as well, when it comes to um, diverse communities, I think they're the biggest misconception that I like to challenge is that the Red Cross doesn't care or that we're not uh, doing, you know, that, that we're not doing any, some of these things. You know, we're bringing uh, swim instruction and water safety into diverse communities. Why? Because when you look at where drowning is happening, you know, 60% of, of Black youth are, are, have cited they have little to no swimming ability. You know, near, nearly 50% of Latino youth are saying they have little to no swimming ability. And that num those numbers are far, those numbers far exceed um, their white counterparts that do have, you know, swimming ability. So we're bringing more of those resources into diverse community. We're translating a number of our courses into Spanish that didn't exist in Spanish over the last several years. We're translating those into Spanish now. Uh, we're making them accessible uh, for people with disabilities because um, the need is there. Um, when in, in terms of disaster cycle services, we're ensuring that we have Spanish-speaking volunteers that can go into uh, you know, our diverse communities and make sure that our resources are meeting uh, those who predominantly speak Spanish. Uh, we're making sure that we're taking resources into uh, African-American communities when those communities don't are, you know, feel comfortable coming to Red Cross chapters uh, for whatever reason. Uh, we're just continuing to make ourselves accessible. So um, I think I could really could go on, but I think uh, the number one uh, thing to know is that uh, we're out there, we're trying, 
uh, and we will continue to try until um, all needs are met. I want to thank you again so much for coming on. Um, and I want to leave everybody with this, with this thought, you know, when you go and, and it might seem that when you go donate blood, they're turning people away. We need to think about, especially in this time and what's going on in the world right now, um, there are so many people and they don't ask you any questions. If you need blood, you need blood. So we need to keep that in mind that if we go into this mindset where we're not donating blood because they're not going to take our blood or we're not going to try to this, one day we might be on the, on the opposite side and they're not going to ask us questions. They don't care who you are. If you need blood, you're going to get it, especially if they have it. But that, that's the key word, if they have it. And if we're not donating blood, they won't have it. Think about it as in, hey, maybe I have to wait three months, but I will be helping someone that needs it. And they're not going to turn it away. They're not going to be, you might be giving blood for someone that's gay that needs blood. Once again, um, if you just could give us a couple websites where people want to do, you know, a little a little research or want to look into it, um, they can. Sure, Chris, absolutely. Um, so you can find all of our information at redcross.org. If you're looking for specific information regarding uh, blood, blood donations, blood drives, you can go to redcrossblood.org. And of course, you can visit the FDA website for their contact information if you'd like to continue to help us champion a continued improvement with the three-month deferral for uh, men who have sex with men. And once again, thank you so much. And thank everybody for listening. I hope to see you guys again at a, uh, on a later episode. So remember to like, subscribe, leave a comment. You can follow me on Instagram at Chris Diva. And you can follow the pod at Hard Talks with Chris. And I want to give a special thanks to Jamison for letting me borrow his song, Fuckable, for the intro and outro. Spend my day doing squats and mental push-ups to be the film.